0: this podcast is available in video at fpcgulfport.org and fpcgulfport on youtube you know the likelihood that you'll have very difficult days in your own life it's really not a matter of if it's just a matter of when for some of us we've already been there and done that and got the t-shirt some of us have had all the difficult days that we could possibly handle with that said, if you're a Christian this morning and you believe God is good and you believe God's in charge, then a reasonable question to ask is why? Why did I go through something terrible those years ago? Why am I going through something terrible today? If God is good, if God is in charge, then why is this happening? Why has God not only allowed hardship to enter my life, but why did he decree it? Why did he decree this to happen? Now in today's text, Naomi has lost her home. They've left Bethlehem, which was, up until the time of the famine, a wonderful place, a pleasant place, a green place. She's left Bethlehem to go back beyond the Dead Sea into Moab, which is a dry place, a terrible place. And yet, what was going on in Bethlehem was so bad that Moab looked better by contrast. So she lost her home, she left Bethlehem. Shortly thereafter, she loses her husband, who took her there to begin with. And within a 10-year time frame, both the sons that she had had died as well. She didn't understand. We're going to see in today's text, she does not understand. She is going to say in today's text that the Lord, the Lord has dealt bitterly with her. She's going to say, I have no other way to explain my losses than this. To say that God's in charge, yes, but he is determined for reasons I don't understand to deal bitterly with me. And to take that which was so important to me away. And I don't get it. I don't like it. I don't understand it. Today she's going to say that God dealt bitterly with her and that his hand had gone out against her. Now let me ask you a question. Was that so? Was that true? Well, if you've read all four chapters of Ruth, you know the answer is no. But Naomi wasn't in chapter 4. She's in chapter 1 of today's text, and she doesn't get it. When we're in the midst of all the hurts and crisis in our lives, we usually don't. We don't have the perspective to see what God sees. With that said, at this time, Naomi thought that God was against her, but the truth couldn't be more far away from that. Indeed, God was with her. I don't really want to spoil the ending, but I will say this. The sad, hurting Naomi that we're going to meet today in chapter 1 of Ruth is not the same Naomi that we're going to see by the time we get to chapter 4 a few weeks from now. By the time we get to chapter 4, Naomi is going to have done just a complete 180 in her thought process. And she's going to realize that the heartaches of her past, as terrible as they were, have been used by God to create a superior future. In your own life, I don't know what chapter you're in. Chapter one, two, three, or 4. But whatever the case, I hope today's text will be an encouragement to you. All right, let's look at verses 1 through 3. We'll read these and then we'll just work our way through the balance of this chapter. Verses 1 through 3. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of this man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his sons were Malon and Chilion, Epaphrites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab, they remained there. And then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons." This morning, the version I'm reading from of Scripture is the New King James. Now, the New King James, each chapter started with a chapter heading or a segment heading in order for you to sort of understand what's going on. Well, the New King James, the section heading for chapter 1 of Ruth says this. It says, Elimelech's family goes to Moab. Now, when I first encountered that some time ago, it sounded like Elimelech was taking his family on a vacation. Sound like they were going to Moabite Six Flags or something like that. Elimelech's family goes to Moab. However, as we've already seen, this was not going to be an enjoyable trip. Israel was suffering through a horrendous famine. I don't think we have the perspective to understand what it's like to day in, day out, not see a cloud in the sky, day in, day out, not see water, not see food, not see grain, things growing, to not know where your next meal is going to come from. There was a tremendous famine in the land. We don't know why, although historically, if you look back in Deuteronomy and Lamentations, you see that God said to his people that, look, if you're faithful, things are going to go well and you won't lack provision. If you're not, if you turn away to your own desires, your own whims, you turn to other gods, then I'll remove my grace from you. So famine, most likely in this time frame, was a result of their disobedience, the disobedience of God's people. So he withheld their blessing in order to prompt them to look to him once again. Now, this particular famine was bad and it had been going on for some period of time. Now you've got this guy, Elimelech, he's a father, he's a husband, he's someone who looks around and says, I need to be able to feed my family. And then Elimelech, this man, this father, this husband, says, the best way for me to do that is to leave home, to leave the people I know, to leave where we've grown up, to leave this place, to leave the promised land, and to sojourn elsewhere, at least for a period of time, and to take my family to Moab. Now, this would be a decision of some consequence. You see in scripture whenever famines were decreed upon God's people yes it was a sign of God's displeasure and his curse and yet because he loved God's people he would see them through. For Limelech to say he was leaving the promised land was not a small thing because it suggested he was also leaving the promise. It suggested he did not have a sense that God would provide and protect for his family and so he was going to go into the land of the pagans. He was going to go to the land of Moab. People who had long been at enmity with Israel. He was going unto their enemies in order to seek housing and provision and the like. He was taking his family from a place that, even in the midst of a famine, at least this was the land, the promised land that worshiped the one true God, and he was going into a land of pagan gods. This was not a small decision for an Israelite father, husband to make because he had to know that as they were doing so, that there would be significant consequences. If he was going to take his two sons into Moab for a period of time, in all likelihood, that would mean that when they got there, they would need to marry Moabite women, which was forbidden in this Jewish context. And he knew furthermore that if they married Moabite women and they stayed in Moab for any period of time, then they would raise up Moabite grandchildren, so to speak. At the very least, they'd raise up pagan grandchildren in a land of pagan gods. Do you think this was a good idea? You can probably guess what I think. This was not a good idea. It was understandable to some extent. I mean, if you're a guy, you don't want to go hungry. You don't want your family to go hungry. You've heard that in this desolate area of Moab, there might still be something more than what you have here. So you roll the dice and say, let's give it a try. And yet, to do that was to turn your head away from the promises of God. To turn away from your people, your country, your kinsmen, and to turn away from the worship that took place there, to go to a place where the worship was exclusively, excessively pagan. I wonder if Elimelech ever regretted that decision. Well, here's the thing. We don't get a chance to find out because he's dead by verse 3. We don't get a chance to find out what Elimelech thought of this because verse 3 says, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Elimelech had attempted, I don't know, you might call it an end run around the will of God, and the results of that decision, in short order, is that he was dead. His sons would die not terribly long thereafter, and his wife was left as a widow in a foreign land with no security. This decision had been deadly to him and horrible for his wife. Naomi, in a number of verses from now, we're going to see that she's going to return to Bethlehem, and when she does so, we're going to see that the people that they had left behind in Bethlehem, They're going to take one look at Naomi, and they're going to be stunned and startled by how much worse for where she is. They're going to ask the question, is this Naomi? And the suggestion here is that for whatever reasons Elimelech had when he went to Moab, the reality was things went far worse for his family. Far worse, so much worse that the people who stayed behind in Bethlehem didn't even recognize them. Because it had gone so terribly. All right, let's look at verses 3 through 9 to see what happened after the death of Elimelech. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they dwelt there for about ten years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died. So the woman survived, her two sons and her husband. What a calamity is this. This woman, Naomi, survives her husband and her two sons. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in Bethlehem by giving them bread. And therefore she went out from the place where she was, in Moab, and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go. Return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant you that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. And So she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and they wept. Have you ever known someone to go through some hardship and you ever heard this terrible statement that God will never give you more than you can handle? What do you think Naomi would have said to that? Imagine Naomi, she's venting to someone, they encounter someone on the dusty paths there in Moab, and she relates her whole story, and she tells all that she's lost and how terrible things have gone. Imagine her reaction, if someone had come up to her and had the gall to say, God will never give you more than you can handle. Naomi might have laughed and said, oh yeah? If someone had come up to Naomi after her husband and sons were dead, after she was left destitute and penniless in a foreign country, I think she would have said, yes, I've been given more than I can handle. And there's a lot of times in Scripture when this happens. Noah had a world-changing flood. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into a fiery furnace. Daniel was thrown into a lion's den. Joseph was sold into slavery and later into jail. Throughout Scripture, from one end to the other, there's all sorts of people who, humanly speaking, have been given more than they can handle. See, God's promise is not that he won't give you more than you can handle. Again, that verse is not in Scripture. However, if you look in Scripture, you'll see that consistently, God regularly gave His people more than He can handle, and He regularly gives us more than we can handle. His promise is not that He won't do that. His promise is this, that we're in the midst of that heartache, when we're in the midst of that hardship, that He is with us. What do you think Psalm 23, the shepherd's psalm, is all about? It's about sheep who can't handle the wolves on their own? Who can't handle the hardships of the nature around them on their own? But who have a shepherd? Who have a shepherd? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because I'm so strong? Because I can bear it all? No. Yea, though I walk the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. God is with us. He will give you more than you can handle. But then he will stand with you as you face it. That's the promise. That's the promise, that he will not forsake us nor leave us. Yes, he'll put things on our radar, cancer, hardship, death, illness, what have you. He'll put things on our radar that we can't handle, and then he will stand with us as we face it. And this forces us to stop trusting in ourselves, which is one of our number one problems, and increasingly, consistently, eternally trust in him. In any case, upon the death of her husband and her sons, it was clear that Naomi had more than she could handle through these circumstances. She did not want to be a foreign widow with no husband to provide for her in the present, no children to provide for her in the future, and a country that did not like, want, or even trust her. However, as lonely as she must have been and as into the rope as she must have been, she was not truly alone because God was with her and God had put a couple of young women in her life. And in verse 4, we see them identified. These are the Moabite women who her sons had married. They're still alive, and they're evidently caring for her, and their names are Orpah and Ruth. Now, while they were together commiserating as widows, while they were together commiserating, Naomi, she heard a rumor. She heard a rumor that as bad as things were going in Moab, that something better had now happened in her homeland, that in Bethlehem the rains had returned that in Bethlehem there was now food again. She heard about these things, that God had brought back the rain, the crops, and the bread, and so she did something that was probably long on her heart. She says, well, I'm going home. I'm going to make plans to go back to Bethlehem. We see that in verses 8 and 9. But what would that mean if you're Orpah? What would that mean if you're Ruth? Because remember, you're Moabites. You don't know Bethlehem. You've never been to Bethlehem. That's not your home. Those aren't your people. In fact, they're not going to like you because the Jews consistently were at enmity with the Moabites. Well, Naomi probably thought that through and said, Well, here, I don't know what to tell you, but I need to go there. And I think you too, Orpah, Ruth, I think what you should do is go back to the families of your youth. I think you should go back to your kinsmen. I think you should go back to those who will care for you. And, and so she says her goodbyes, and she tells them you need to remain here. That brings us to verses 10 through 13, where we see their response. Let's look at these verses, 10 through 13. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that you may have future husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go. I'm too old to have a husband. If I should say that I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourself from having husbands? No, my daughters. For it grieves me very much for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out Against me. What a brutal conversation this must have been. There you have Naomi. She's already lost her husband and her sons. And now the only two people that she has, these two young women who have been her family, so to speak, and who have helped look after, she's prepared to say goodbye to them too. But she does it for their well being because she genuinely thinks that their future will be best off if they stay in their. Home land. So this must have been a very difficult discussion, and we can see it's difficult because Naomi talks in a hyperbolic terms. She says, look, even if I had a husband right now, would you wait around till I had more sons for you to marry? Come on. Or Orpah, Ruth, it's not going to happen. You need to go back to your home. What a difficult conversation this was. She cries out about this, and she suggests that the hand of the Lord has gone out against her, and she feels bad because she knows that's affected Orpah and Ruth. Now, if we were to stop reading at this point, we might be inclined to agree with Naomi, and maybe God had been harsh. We might be inclined to agree. Naomi had had a rough go at it. But as we said before, remember, this is chapter 1, not chapter 4. Naomi's story is not done. Let's look at verses 14 through 17. Verse 14, Then they lifted up their voices, and they wept again. They were crying. They were both sad. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth, Ruth clung to her. And she said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Baruch said, Entreat me not. Don't tell me that. Entreat me not to leave you, or to turn back from falling after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you from me what a strong statement this is what a young woman Ruth is what integrity she has what love and devotion she has even right to the end up until death she says Naomi I will not leave you I will not leave you now Orpah the other sister-in-law Orpah had merely kissed Naomi and then she went home to her gods and you don't hear anything more about Orpah Orpah's story is done There is a side note, in the rabbinic text, there's something called the Midrash, rabbinic texts They're not scriptural, they're not part of the biblical narrative. But the rabbinic text suggests that Orpah went on to become either the mother or grandmother of Goliath. I don't believe that to be true for a lot of different reasons, but it is a popular thing you might encounter if you're looking through commentaries here. Whatever the case, Orpah's story is done in the canon of scripture here. However, Ruth doesn't seem to take the hint. Verse 14 says that rather than going back with Orpah, Ruth clings to Naomi. This is a physical act representing her emotional state. And then she makes one of the most loving statements you see in all Scripture. She says, look, wherever you go, I will go. That's the nature of my love for you. And then she seals that with a pledge. She not only says, I love you, but then she makes a vow. And this vow is significant because it suggests of faith in naomi's god she says this ruth this moabite woman says this to naomi this jewish woman she says may the lord may yahweh do so to me and more also if anything but death parts you and i we don't know all of ruth's motivations here but we know this much ruth loved naomi and she also valued naomi's god she says my gods have done me no good she turned her back on the Moabite gods. She says, I'm going home with you, and your God will be my God. And then she took an oath. And people in this context, you only take an oath by that which you esteem. She esteemed and value, the God of heaven. Okay, let's look at verses 18 through 22 that conclude this chapter. Verse 18. Now when she saw that she was determined to go with her, when Naomi saw that Ruth was not going to let go of this, that Ruth was absolutely going to stay the course, Naomi stopped speaking to her. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. This is a small place. This is a city is probably too strong a word. This is more like a village. But all of Bethlehem was excited for them, and the women said, Is this Naomi? But she said to them, Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? And so Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter in law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. All right. After Ruth had made the vow to stay with Naomi, Naomi saw she's not going to be talked out of it. And so she accepted Naomi's companionship. They went on to Bethlehem together. And then what happened next? What happened when they approached the town? What happened when the people of Bethlehem got a chance to look at Naomi? Well, apparently there was quite a stir. As we said a little bit earlier, the people of Bethlehem, they see these two women coming, and one of them, one of them, they say, is that Naomi? Is this Naomi? This had been a hard 10 years for Naomi, and she was obviously the worst for wear. And when she comes in, she says, look, you saw me when I left. I went out, even in the midst of famine, I went out full Compared to where I am now, even in the midst of a famine 10 years ago, comparatively, I went out full. At the very least, I had my husband, I had my kids with me. I bring none of them back. All I have is my Moabitess daughter-in-law with me. And then she says to those who are calling out, to those who are saying, Naomi, she says, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. Why do you call me Naomi? See, Naomi in Hebrew means either sweet or pleasant. She says, you stop that. There is nothing sweet about my experience. There's nothing pleasant about the past 10 years. You want to call me anything, call me Mara, which as you can guess means bitter. Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. What do you make of that statement? Has God dealt bitterly with her? Well, again... Those of us who are familiar with the whole of the book of ruth know that the answer is no he hadn't dealt bitterly with her she didn't understand it she didn't see it and most of the times when we're in the midst of our hardship and pain we don't see it either but a good and gracious and a sovereign god had good and gracious and sovereign plans for her and for her future if you were to fast forward to the end of your story you'd see god has the same purposes for you let me look at the final verse one last moment because this verse is going to be the springboard for the chapters Yet to come. verse 22 said this it said now they came to bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest so naomi and ruth walked into bethlehem in verse 22 the famine was gone the barley had returned the ability to sustain the lives and health of the people was back so the women were entering into bethlehem which is a significant town it may have been small but it's significant They were entering into Bethlehem at a time when, if they looked around, God's provision was everywhere. They walked into Bethlehem and the fields were ready for harvest. The provision of God was evident all around them. But Naomi, all she could see was her loss. See, all around her were signs of God's provision. All around her were signs of God's blessing. She was back home with her people, people who love and care and take care of her and provide for her. She had relatives there. Boaz would be one of them. There were fields, there was food and the like. Things were better, but all she could still see was loss. Sometimes this is true of us. No matter how many blessings God has bestowed upon us, no matter how many people in our lives that love us and that we love, no matter how many things are going right in our life, there can be losses, maybe just one loss, that can steal all of our hope and all of our joy. And that's all we see. It is understandable. Because sometimes that which we lose means that much to us. That doesn't seem like anything can replace it. And yet it's significant to Naomi that the very time she views herself as being dealt with poorly, bitterly by the hand of God, he was ushering her in to a great and a wonderful season. A season that by the time we get to chapter 4, she's finally going to recognize. The harvest had returned. There was hope around the corner. This morning, I'll close with this thought. If you are going through a dry season, if you're going through a season of loss, either now or in the future, if you're going through a difficult dry season, remember, it's not the end of the story. For some of us, God has better days right around the horizon. For all of us, God has appointed a time and a place when that which feels wrong in our lives will be made right. An eternal harvest. A time of reunions, a time of rejoicing, the time when every last tear will be wiped away. This morning, take heart that day is coming. Let's pray. If you'd like to check out additional recordings or videos by Dr. Toby Holt, please visit our website at fpcgulfport.org. And if you're on the Gulf Coast, come join us at 11 a.m. Sundays at First Presbyterian Church of Gulfport, Mississippi.